0: Welcome to First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. So first of all, Happy Thanksgiving, belated, um, hope you guys are able to eat a lot of turkey and uh, throw some pounds on that body, get in, uh, get in that bulk mode for winter. Um, I'm recording this actually uh, a week in advance, so I have not yet uh, started my bulk mode, but uh, um, I have, will probably have come back with a uh, sufficiently pounded up and we have a really great show for you today uh, especially for you designers and especially especially for you typographers today uh, our guest is Juan Carlos Pagan who uh, has a ton of clients um, he's worked with uh, MTV the uh, Art Directors Club Nike Uh, The New York Lottery, he was behind a lot of those great New York Lottery campaigns. He's a Young Gun winner, and he designed the branding behind Pinterest, which I'm sure all of you are very familiar with. We start in Cuba, where his grandfather was a political refugee, and then we go into uh, their move to Puerto Rico, and eventually uh, arriving in New York, and where his story really begins. It's a very New York-centric episode. But right before we get into that, um, speaking of New York, where this conversation was conducted, um, I saw on Netflix the new Colin Quinn special, and it is excellent. It's called New York Story, and I am not being paid to do this. This is not uh, an official endorsement. This is just literally me having... Clicked on the clicked on the video on Netflix and then just really having a damn good fucking time with it because it was hilarious. It's uh, it's Colin Quinn's um, dissection of the New York personality from a uh, from a racial slash genealogical slash economic slash everything. It's awesome. It's basically a one man show and um, it's it's super intelligent, super smart, super funny i'm just going to play a really short clip right now where it talks about the usage of the dutch language in the new york vernacular the dutch just took it they branded it all those names are dutch names uh bronx is a dutch word harlem dutch word bushwick dutch word brooklyn is a dutch word stoop dutch word yankees is a dutch word the word "fuck" is a dutch word i swear to god <laughs> So if you ever see anyone on a stoop
1: in Brooklyn going, fucking Yankees, they're speaking Dutch. (laughs) So
0: So that was just a clip from Colin Quinn's special, New York Story on Netflix. And uh, I fully recommend it. It's great. It basically breaks down what the dna of new york is from a cultural level and also even gets it's a stereotype but uh the stereotypes are by the time he gets into that he's already justified everything that makes you understand why stereotypes even exist it's it's really good i i, I suggest you guys uh, check it out so moving on to today's guest juan carlos Pagan. we recorded this conversation a couple of months ago Um, around the same time that uh, episode one with Ahmed was recorded it it was in the Sunday afternoon office and he's also one of the co-founders So uh, just letting you know uh, that I could not get my other microphone to work that day, so uh, performance issues. And uh, if it sounds like we're passing back and forth one microphone, it's because we are. So uh, just bear with us for a little bit. Well, we get get into a groove and we're just kind of chopping it up for about an hour. So here's that conversation. Yeah, totally. We're gonna be like dangerously close to kissing each other, I think. Yeah, I know. (laughs) <laughs> oh man um all right yeah so thanks for having me at your super spacious uh,
1: Sunday afternoon offices over here um I think it's also partially your office as well oh
0: yeah it is yeah I feel like there's a bit of ownership I hope you do yeah thanks yeah.
1: we are so close right now dude this is really really sexual <laughs> I don't, are we are we okay so I only see the bits pop up when yes. I speak super loud so yeah. I, I guess we just have to be like aggressively loud, but close. This is going to get really yeah, good. But yeah. Totally.
0: But I think once we're we're not talking on top of each other anymore, we can
1: take a step. Yeah. Take a step back. Then
0: you can just kind of like you own know it. own it. All right. Cool. <laughs> good. All right. So uh, for a little bit of context, uh, today we're talking with Juan Carlos Pagan, designer extraordinaire, friend extraordinaire, also the person who introduced me to the hamhorn. Which I have used to very high-level ranking people <laughs> at a at a thirty-five billion-dollar company. <laughs> um, so, uh, thanks for having me here, and uh, I just want to talk to you today about your background, what what drives you, and also, well, you know, what what got you to this point, and you know, the things that are passionate to you, especially as a uh, a person of a first-generation uh, Cuban? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I'm, I think I'm second-generation, technically. Yeah, I'm second-generation, and I'm a bit of a mutt. Like, I have um, both Cuban and Puerto Rican heritage. So, yeah, I'm a bit of a mutt. Yeah.
0: So, uh, oh, wait, wait. So, first-generation, I think, is when your parents are born there and you're here, Right.
1: Correct. Well, well, my grandparents came here, oh. so my parents were born here. I, I, th- I think, fuck, I suck as as a kid. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think my parents are born here. Oh, got it. Oh, by born here. I mean, born in Puerto Rico, which is a commonwealth of the United States. So they were they weren't born on the mainland, but they were they're born American, so to speak, but they're Puerto Rican. Gotcha. Oh,
0: so you, I guess you don't even qualify for this podcast anymore. Poop. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? I, I know you. I've known you for years, but I don't know much about the early, earlier. years. It's actually, when I was talking to Ahmed Klink yesterday, I was surprised at how much knowledge I didn't have about his youth when he was a little kid. So if you just well, give us a little bit of background on all that.
1: Yeah, it is funny. Like, uh, I'll get into that, but I think you're you're totally right. I think you you can be friends with someone, hang out with them a lot, and not ask like like basic questions. You just kind of uh, you kind of hang out with people, and you have to have a good fun, like a lot of fun, and you get close and close and close, and you get close to a point where asking them, perhaps, like, "Hey, how did your parents get here? Where are you from?" Almost seems like silly, but it, it that's why I kind of admire you for doing this because. In a weird way it allows you to get closer to the people that you're already close with or and learn more about them you know so I, I i kind of admire that so a bit about me so like my my parents uh were born in puerto rico my grandpa was a political refugee he fled uh, cuba went to puerto rico um uh and you know, met my grandma and made babies, which were my, you know, you know, my parents were there, uh, and then they came over. Everyone basically came over here around the same time. I think it was like the 70s. They came over to mainland United States, <clears throat> and uh, specifically New York. Which oddly enough, they came, they they moved to to Queens, which which is heavy sort of Jewish population. I grew up in Flushing, Queens. Which if if, if anyone's if anyone's been there, or from there, like the uh, yeshivas over there, and a lot of uh, a lot of Jewish people, and like I grew up, like most of my close friends growing up were 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 Jewish. So I grew up in a in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. Even though there it was diverse, it was predominantly Jewish. Uh, but they found a little like Latin community nestled within this sort of larger uh, uh, Queens Jewish uh, community uh, that I lived at. So I, I lived there in Queens until I was about twelve. Uh, and when I, when I was young, I was kind of a bad kid. Like I, 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 got, I was kind of getting into trouble at an early age so much so that, you know, uh, there was discussions about like sending me to boarding school or like sending getting me away from like the places I you know, people that I was hanging out with. So as an example of trouble, like just talk us through, like give us a rundown of maybe the top two, top three worst, terrible things you did all right so w- th- this is a f- funny question because you're gonna i'm gonna jump the gun that's the problem like i started off as like a fucking little juvenile right i was a little dickhead as a kid and i was doing dumb shit like 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 graffiti and like 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 uh uh, uh stealing shit and like just being a, like a like a little hood rat you know wasn't it it was stupid. It wasn't like, like really bad stuff until I got maybe older and then I got into some weird shit, but I, I did some like, you know, dumb, like a lot of graffiti, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, No, you know, so I can get into like the worst thing I did like later, uh, in this podcast, but, uh, yeah, so I was doing some, I was hanging out with some like, you know, some other juveniles were getting some hood rat shit when I was a kid. Uh, and at the same time, my Aunt and my uncle bought a home in Poughkeepsie, New York with my grandmother. It was this really, really big home, and it's technically I guess Lagrangeville, but it's like right by Poughkeepsie. It's like the suburbs of Poughkeepsie, and this is like big suburban house uh and they were like, "Hey, you know, there was like family stuff going on at that time like so they took me and my brother and uh at the age of like eleven twelve. We moved up to to upstate, like Lagrangeville, to live. So that transition was like like a fucking culture shock to me because I went from growing up in Queens, which your access to the city is kind of you're right there, right? You kind of I think you consider I considered myself like a more of an urban uh, youth uh, because I was in Queens, and then next thing you know, I'm in this like sprawling suburban like like what felt like anywhere United States, you know, uh, with this like big house with like acres of, and, you know, and it was a, it was a bit of a culture shock for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I lived in Poughkeepsie. I went to middle school in Poughkeepsie. I went to, uh, uh, to high school. Uh, I went to Arlington high school there. Uh, yeah. And that's sort of like the, that was like, you know, that was basically my formidable years. What was your cultural identity or cultural identity in Poughkeepsie? Did you
0: feel like you were part of a, of a Latin world there or did you just feel like it just had changed and all of a sudden you were in a different context? I mean, aside from just being out in the burbs.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating question um, because I certainly I certainly felt... um certainly felt... <laughs> There wasn't, there wasn't a Latin community. No, there wasn't, you know, like I, I didn't feel like an outsider really, but I certainly, I was certainly aware of the fact that was very few people that looked like me for sure. You know? So I, again, it was, it was weird because no one, I, I didn't feel openly like pushed away. It wasn't like I was like greeted with like racism, you know, it wasn't like that. It was just certainly like a very obvious, like lack of diversity In the neighborhood or town that I grew up in, right, and it's—I think it has. There's a lot of variables that probably go into that. Like, um, uh, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of variables that go into why that's the case. But I was certainly—I was certainly aware of the fact that maybe I was a bit different, for sure.
0: Yeah. When did you start becoming creative? Were you you always uh, thinking that, or was there like some sort of spark or something,
1: you know, kind of drove you towards there? that's, it's always been a part of my life, you know, like, when I was, like, like, I was always a kid in grade school that was getting in trouble for, like, drawing in the back of the class, as opposed to, like, doing, like, my arithmetic, for instance, right, like, it, it, it's, it never left me, that's the thing, like, you know, I think I was always that kid, It just, it's just manifested itself differently now, right, like, so, as it were, when I was really young, I was, like, doing graffiti, and I was, like, and I was, like, drawing a lot and making stuff, making art. And I was a very, like, I was a maker kid. And then when you get into, like, high school, you know, I still made stuff, but I was more, like, like you know, pushed into more physical stuff. Like, I, I, I was, like, you know, on the track team and on the wrestling team and, like, you know, doing a lot of more sort of, like, things that the school wanted you to do, you know? you know a lot of people I was I guess athletic athletic enough where I can get on these like like sports team and and kind of excel a little bit uh so I was still making stuff, but it kind of took a backseat a little in high school you know but I was always a creative kid I was always in the, like art classes and aPR classes and making stuff it just wasn't something that I was aggressively doing uh in high school that uh, high school was a very sort of weird time I think it's a weird time for everyone, but I certainly So I was, I was like, I had to sort of split life, I think, you know, like I would go to school and I'd go to the wrestling matches and I'd win wrestling meets and, but then I'd go home and listen to like fucking Radiohead and paint and get super emo, like without anyone seeing, like I was just like this super artsy kid at home, but like at school, I, you know, played up this, like maybe more of a, an athletic jockey role because it was kind of, uh, you know, more accepted, I suppose it was, it was weird.
0: I got to say, when I first met you, I was very struck at like how athletic you appeared. And I was like, wow, this guy is like as a designer and as a creative crushing it, but also gives off like he could hang like in the physical world as well. More so like and then most people that I know who are less complete introverts and like I was a total band kid when I was in high school, so I didn't get involved in any of that shit, and I just had to, like, kind of, you know, go down my own weird, emo, artistic path without trying to play team sports. But, like, do you think that having, like, healthy sense of competition, team sports, as well as, like, the mentality of training and physicality, if that feeds into your creative drive?
1: Well, I don't know if if it, if it like... i yeah, it's kind of uh I think it helps in, like in terms of like you you're never everyone has this perception about people who make stuff that like they they're doing it alone. And you know, if you're doing it professionally, if you're making like a living out of like making shit, you're not doing it alone. You're working with other people and I think there's something about sports or team sports that helps you cope with what it's like to be a team player and understand that like you're just a like a, a a part of a larger thing, right? Like if you're a, like a a designer for instance, you're designing one thing and most of the time you're passing that on to maybe like an animator or a web designer or a developer. You're not the the end the beginning and the end. You're you're a, you're a you're a team player. So I think those team sport mentality sort of helps you understand that every like every every creative endeavor is actually really sort of a a team endeavor. It's you're not you know singular. It, that's that's rare. I don't think that really exists. You know, even painters that I know have assistants, and then they have like buyers and art dealers. And you're yeah, you might be painting it by yourself, but there's there's more there's more people. And I think I I enjoyed I enjoyed the. The, the, the sports because of obviously the discipline, but also like the like, you know, the the team mentality.
0: So when do you decide to make the jump into uh, going to, you know, going down the path, going down the creative path?
1: Yeah. So I graduated high school and, you know, like most kids who graduate high school, you you don't really know. Like, w- like where to go, I think. I mean, you know you got to go to college. You know that. But I, I, I didn't want to just go to college to go right away. So I, I traveled a little bit. I, I, I went to Mexico for a while. Um, I spent about a year in Mexico sort of doing a lot of, like, reading and doing a lot of uh, soul-searching. And by soul-searching, I mean, like, you know, experimenting with drugs and, like, partying. Like just being, like just you know, just being seventeen in another country and like getting a lot out of my system, you know, learning a lot about myself and my limits. And I was also reading a lot of shit then that like, like I, I kind like I wanted to like experiment with like tryptamines and and different facets of my brain and how to like. I was, I was, I was always, I was always like, like a spiritual person. I but I but. <laughs> this is going to get into a weird thing. You know, like I, I, I've, I, I lost my faith, like in, in high school. And, but I always still felt like, like a spiritual person. And I kind of wanted to, to see if, 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 if going and, and spending time with shamans or people who fancied themselves shamans and experimenting with different regions of like my unconscious would, would sort of like give me sort of insight into what I believed, you know, uh, so a lot of my time in, in Mexico was me sort of doing fucking soul searching and reading uh, a lot of philosophy, a lot of like theology, do, doing tryptamines and just a, kind of like living this bohemian weird life in Mexico before I went to college. So I did about a, a kind of a year of that, you know, before I decided to go to to come back to New York and go to school.
0: Uh, can you tell us where you went to school and then also tell us uh, what. What are you focused on there,
1: yeah, and even so that that's even it gets funnier, so I, I get I get back to New York, and I'm like, all right, so now I'm ready to go to school. I had this sort of really great sort of like personal experience for myself, uh, I learned a lot about myself, I knew I had to go to school, and I got accepted to NYU Stern School of Business and I think the the idea that <sighs> i I wanted to, you know, you want to make your parents proud, you know, like you want to like do something that they can like talk to their neighbors about and like, oh, my, you know, my kid is going to Stern, you know, and, and it's a prestigious school and, and it's a prestigious program. And so I, I, I went to Stern in a lot of ways to, 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 I wanted to learn about business, but I wanted to like make people proud. Right. And then I realized during my first semester that I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I wasn't, I wasn't going to school because I was passionate about something or it was going to make me happy, I went to school because for someone else's sort of idea of who I can become by going to school. So after a semester, I dropped out and transferred to Parsons School Design, uh, which was like a huge fucking shift, right? Like I'm going to like, I'm going to class with dudes that are going to be like run hedge funds. and next thing you know, I'm like in a school with kids that couldn't really give a fuck about like the economy, but they just wanted to make stuff. So it's, very, very. It was a huge shift. What is it about that guilt? Do you think? Because I know as a first generation kid, or was like
0: a, a kid of immigrants, like that guilt like weighs a lot on you. In terms of like what your parents and your grandparents have to do just to fucking get over here and exist to give you a chance. Like, what is it about that? And like how how hard was it for you to make that shift and say like, hey, I'm going to take ownership of what this life is, and I'm really just going to go for it and You know, on these terms.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the guilt and the guilt, that's an interesting word. I think think we see our grandparents and parents, you you see their struggle very, you see it on them because they took the ultimate sacrifice and leaving a place that they're comfortable at to come to a fucking foreign place. To try to make a life better for not only themselves but more specifically for 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 you, so you it's hard to uh, for me at least it's hard to look at them and not want to make them happy, right? Like I I I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for my parents, like uh, an overwhelming amount, so much so that. It, like if I think about it too much, it'll, I, I get emotional a bit, you know, because like they, they're super, they, they did a lot. They, they're amazing, right? They're amazing people. And the way I think they raised me was to, to, to be gracious and have gratitude and, and, and examine like the decisions I'm making and, and, and the people that touched me. So, you know, when I think about them and the sacrifice that they made and then my specifically my grandparents, it's, uh, you want to make them happy. So I think that lives inside of you. I think more specifically in like first and second generation people because you can see it. Versus like you know I have friends that have they're like four or five generations deep, and they've you, you don't have that like uh, immediate access maybe to someone who grew up in an, an entirely different country with different problems problems that are are so overwhelmingly more difficult than anything I'll experience that it's almost crazy to think about, you know, like it blows my mind what my grandparents have went through and what my parents have gone through and the struggles that they've over, had to overcome. It, I'm like, there's nothing that I, like no, there's no exam or test or client that's nearly as difficult as like being a political refugee and fleeing a country. That's wild to me. Where do you think you are right now in terms of like those feelings,
0: and also like creatively? Do you feel like that that mindset informs what you do, or do you feel comfortable with uh, with, with being a pure designer and like working within like uh, the constraints of like another context? Do you know what I mean? Or let me reframe it. Like, so a lot of times, like I, I like to design things that I that I have no personal investment in. So that I can try to bring my point of view and my weirdness and my angst onto something that would otherwise be this cold corporate thing. Like, do you ever feel that way, or do you feel that uh, you know you like to just attack a brief and like attack a creative solution from from an angle that is completely apart from who you are?
1: No, I think as a creative person, listen, like you know, we all make our work obviously for most and foremost for ourselves, if we're being honest, and our friends, and then ultimately for our clients, right? When, if clients come to me and they want me to do a project, uh, they're normally looking at stuff that I had done on my own that they're somewhat interested in that they want me to sort of uh, not replicate, but like do again and and put my own, and put a twist on it and give it back to them. So I get a, I, I get the sense that it's super important to put, your yourself into your work cuz then people will ask for that. No one's going to ask you to do something that you've never done really. Like clients are super hesitant to pay money towards to 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 someone to make something for them if they haven't seen something that they already kind of like in their portfolio. So I think we all kind of put ourselves in it. Like it's weird for me as like a designer and a typographer because it's not like an illustrator. I think illustrators have a lot more flexibility in putting in those sort of like maybe subversive things in the illustration. Right. I think you can, I think you're right. I think you can be more subversive about it. uh, And there's more room for that being a designer, especially designer in, uh, in today's market, it, it comes out of the Bauhaus, which means, you have to di- like dissect uh and reduce everything down to its sort of simplistic form and that leaves very little for subversive acts you know you can do it with typography a little bit right and that's what i tend to do you know i use weird or i get really experimental with letter forms and um uh, and it allows me to uh, express maybe interest in op art, op, for instance, or uh, in in language. That, that I think that's my way in. Usually through language and typography. But you know, being in a mar- like being a designer nowadays, it really is like like people are influenced by like Apple and stuff, and they want to like reduce, 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 and that does leave very little room for uh, self-expression what was your draw to bauhaus and also the reductive sensibilities so here's the thing i don't know if i was initially drawn to the bauhaus i think that's so if you're if you examine all of the most of the east coast art schools they function out. They they almost come out of the Bauhaus. So the Bauhaus was for those who are listening who don't know. You probably do because you're listening to this fucking podcast of two designers. Um, uh, you know, it's just like like you know this this uh, this school in Germany that was a reaction against the war, and it was a lot. It had a lot to do with um, rational thinking and reduction in simple and simple forms and simple shapes uh, and like primary colors and sort of like reducing things down to its sort of simplistic and getting away from self-expression, which is sort of irrational in nature. Uh, and that became hugely popular and then permeated through the East Coast with like American modernists. So most of the schools that teach art, SVA, uh, Parsons School Design, RISD, you know, Cooper Union, they all kind of teach a form of the Bauhaus, which is like you, know, you go to your studio, you make art or design. You come back and you have a critique, and that critique is an exercise in deconstruction and reduction. It's to break things down to its essence. We've all experienced it in in the critique, right? So, uh, I th- I'm I'm schooled in the Bauhaus in the sense because I went to Parsons in my undergraduate, and then I went to Cooper Union for my postgraduate studies, and you know they they. They all kind of fall out of that same pedagogy or thinking. So I'm, not, I don't know if I'm necessarily drawn to it, but I'm certainly aware that I'm a byproduct, in a way, of the the Bauhaus mentality. So in that in that uh,
0: context, like, do you feel that you're a rule breaker within that context? Like, if your if your base is there. Do you feel that you sit comfortably outside that base, or do you do you like to dance? Do you like to dance in between Bauhaus or in something that's more of a personal expression, or just maybe something completely different?
1: Uh, I think if you were to like look at my work, if you're being really, really, on- if I'm being really honest, there's some stuff, a lot of stuff that's a very sort of. Um, uh, buttoned up and you know clean uh, and what would be considered by the layman as good design I'm putting air quotes out there but I think if you look a little bit deeper and you look at some of the more experimental type typographic work that I've done that kind of come out of a different mentality which is more her blue ballon more um, expressive typography Th- like that's where I, I got super stoked in towards like the latter part of my education, which isn't the Bauhaus, and It's very sort of uh, American expressionism through letter forms. Uh, and I kind of fell in love with that movement. I'm still in love with that movement a little bit. Like Herb LeBallon is certainly still someone that I admired deeply. Uh, and that's has a huge impact on my work. But I'm also equally influenced by like Lance Wyman. And I would say Lance Wyman, in the way he sort of looked at letter forms, was progressive, but also felt within sort of a modernist per like perspective. So he was very like progressive and experimental with like the Mexico identity 1968 Mexico um, Olympics that he did, which is like still to this day stunning work, right? Like you know,
0: that's on like so many mood boards I see at work constantly. and even for the past 10 years, <laughs> I've just seen it everywhere.
1: Yeah, you can't get away from it because it's, uh, it's amazing, right? And I think what like Lance uh wyman had had did pretty successfully was take simple forms and simple shapes and letter forms and experiment and come up with something really interesting and unique and a s- design system based on um uh lines essentially right like these simple lines so that's that's kind of uh a Bauhaus principle right it's really it is a reductionist idea but it's done in a way that's very experimental and and beautiful uh but like you know so I have like influences like that which I think fall neatly into maybe more of a a traditional like what graphic you know graphic design like modernist thinking, but also i'm I still again like people like Herb Balon have influenced my work too i think it would be it would be it would be i'd be I'd be lying if I didn't say like a whole host of things even my time in Mexico still like affect the way I approach color you know a lot like I think probably the most influential place that affect my color was my time in Mexico, you know, like I was deeply like, it's like, I was real. I'm really, I was really sensitive to color and the colors of that place, but also the colors that people used to do to like paint their storefronts or paint their houses. Like I, like I was really moved by the colors of Mexico. I still, I still think about it a lot. Yeah. And, and still, it's still, those palettes still find themselves in my work over and over and over and over again.
0: What about the content in the work, like, um, like something like experimental jet set, let's say, where maybe they'll play with uh, iconography or the meaning behind words, but behind a more traditional visual aesthetic, but with like some like subtle, disruptory elements or maybe something like super crazy, but like the symbols can be switched out, things like that. Do you ever think about that? Or, is, or uh, for you, is it really
1: more of a pure visual exploration? Well, experimental jets That's an interesting studio that you bring up because they're to me like th- they're quintessentially Dutch in my opinion. They're Dutch in the way they handle typography and their spacing and their uh and their in uh, their approach. Even the way they think and they talk about the work is th- like very Dutch, you know, and they and they know, and they lean into it, which I love. They're not they know that that's like kind of their mother tongue and and, and they're, they 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 grew up and if you if you ever listen to any sort of uh, um, uh, interviews with experimental jet the, they'll they'll say how much uh, like William Crowell Vim Crow has influenced them and like the old Dutch masters have affected their work what they have successfully done I think um, is take some of those fun like their roots right their roots in uh, Dutch modernism. But push it in 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 a, in a super interesting new way. Their their work, uh, in my opinion, is uh, challenging in that they they always seem to to try to progress a line of of thinking that maybe a lot of people would think is finished. For instance, like you would think that modernism has reached its pinnacle, but they sort of do this sort of like revivalist version where it's not modernism, it's not mo- postmodernism, it's like progressivism and it's, it's, it's taking old principles and pushing it in a different way. And, and I, I kind of enjoy that, um, that way of thinking. I, I do get pleasure from looking at their work in a lot of ways. I, I could never make work that way. Um, and maybe that's why I, I'm, I love it because I, I could never make that kind of work. It would also, I think, feel untrue to me. You know, and I think uh, they they know where they're coming from and their heritage and and the things that they grew up looking at. and you know, I grew up looking at different things, and I wasn't introduced to you know certain principles until I was uh, an undergraduate at Parsons, right? What about approachability? Do you think like when it comes to your work, do you think like I want
0: this to be immediately read? I want these these symbols to be understood very quickly? Or you know, do you want to challenge someone like you know? Either you come thirty and I bring you seventy, or do we, are we doing a fifty-fifty thing? Where I bring you like up to even like ninety-five percent of the solution, and you're already there.
1: When I'm working, when I'm working on my personal work, when I'm doing experimental like like uh, like lettering and typography, I tend to want people to work a bit harder, right? Like I want um. And you can see, if you look at, like, for instance, if you look at, like, my Instagram feed, like, some of the lettering that I put out there is a little weird. It's, like, me sort of experimenting with forms and shapes and and and, and pushing sort of, like, is this, does that really look like an ampersand? Is that, like, is that weird? You know, like, you, I tend to, with my personal work, I tend to get a little bit more, like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some, you're going to have to work a little bit. For my client stuff, um, I'm. I'll, I'll, I started doing a little bit more of that, but this is mostly because I've been lucky enough to have been asked to do some of it. You know, like the, like the lettering I did for like Variety magazine is is something that comes to mind. Like that, that's you know kind of weird looking, weird lettering. For instance, you know, it's not what it's not. You know, yeah, it's not your basic sort of typeset, set. You know, it's kind of weird, and they asked me to like go there, which is you know really quite refreshing and nice. Um, usually get that with smaller clients because they're not like pumping in larger budgets uh so i think it's a mix i think my personal work is more experimental more expressive a little bit more challenging i think the stuff i do for clients tends to be less so unfortunately but i still i still like i still push it it's just in, in in a different way you know um yeah it's maybe less uh expressive though maybe all right, so
0: I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Pinterest, because you famously did the Pinterest branding, the Pinterest logo. Um, I just, could you just walk us through a little bit of that process and a little bit of the thought behind it, and as well as uh, where you think that, you know, is there a next level for that branding, if you can even speak on those things?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> that was like a really it's, it's weird that that's what like not weird no it's it's i understand why it's it's such a successful brand in and of itself that you know uh, i'm really proud to have uh worked on that project but the way that sort of came together was my buddy mike uh, who worked at pentagram at the time was in conversations with the guys at pinterest and they they wanted to update their logo they were using Bello Script at the time, which is a typeface designed by Underwear. Uh, uh, I think they're they're located out in the Netherlands. Really, it's really beautiful script, um, but it's something that you can license. It's not um, proprietary lettering. It's something that like anyone can go and get. And they were looking. The guys at Pinterest were just like they liked it, but they wanted something a bit more ownable, something that no one can typeset, and and, and so they wanted custom lettering. And my my buddy Mike is a, is a really good designer, but I think he wanted some help. Kind of coming up with the letter forms, and he has some sketches that he he had sort of initiated and worked on, uh, and then me and him kind of met for coffee, and he was like, "I got this identity project, I'm wondering if you're you're willing to to jam on it with me." I think he knew that like a lot of my work was sort of lettering based, so I'm like, "Yeah, let's just do it, man. Let's just get it," you know. So we kind of jammed on it for a little while and came up with this sort of um, came up with this lettering structure that we really liked, which is this slanted connecting italic forms right and then what we did was use a discretionary ligature which is a st at the end of pinterest to sort of like visually bookmark it because the p was super heavy and it's just kind of like there was nothing on the right side to anchor it so it was a uh, it was kind of a, a like a uh, uh an aesthetic sort of like uh, balance decision to kind of balance the word mark out. But it was also when you, when it goes back to being, you talk about being subversive a little bit or being sort of experimental. Like, like that to me, like the ST ligature in a logo was one of those things that I felt proud about because how many ligatures do you see in people's logos, right? Like very little. And very little clients are willing to do something like that. Yes, it's typographically sound. Their, their ligatures exist in, uh, in the canon of typography for a reason or printing for a reason right because two letters come together and sometimes they they'll crash ligatures bring them together and it makes it easy to read and when you get to like fine point so to bring a ligature up and to focus on it or or, or to have it in a, a word mark was something that i was particularly like interested in doing um, so we did the lettering and the last bit was the p they knew that their logo would eventually just get reduced down to the p so they wanted us to sort of play with like making the P look, turn like look kind of like a map pin, like to uh, to kind of suggest a map pin, and and we were at least initially like hesitant to do that, and but we we kind of found like the right sort of like degree of suggestion where it wasn't too sharp, not too hard, but it kind of sort of subtly referenced the map pin, and uh, we were happy with it. They were like one of the best clients ever to work with because they 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 would make suggestions, right? Uh, and this is rare, but they would make suggestions and, and usually those suggestions turned out fruitful. And that's, and I think that has a lot to do with like Ben and Evan just having sort of a uh, a good sense of not only where they wanted their brand to go, but also a really good sense of uh, design. They, they inherently sort of respected it and understood that it's, it's going to be a powerful tool for them. Um, yeah, and everything else is like from there on, is kind of like history, like they just really made a successful brand, you know, people... Uh, I'm really proud of that piece. And I love the lettering we did for it. And and, and, and it has garnished me a lot of sort of interest, but it's certainly not like the best thing in my portfolio, I don't think. Sure. Well, I mean, you have a lot of amazing things in your portfolio, which I drool over constantly. (laughs)
0: But uh, yeah, totally. So uh, tell us a little bit, Like, you're one of the co-founders of Sunday Afternoon. And uh, you, Ahmed and Shane are doing some amazing things right now as a trio, as well as like the group of uh, our artists that you guys represent. And I'm not just saying that because I'm one of those guys, but um, I, I do feel that uh, you guys represent something which is very interesting in the city of New York right now, <clears throat> which are three what might, one might categorize as alternative voices joining forces and creating something that is like stronger than the individuals and representing what could possibly be like you know like a, a great little movement if you just talk a little bit about uh Sunday afternoon and also just you know what that means to you
1: yeah uh Sunday afternoon uh which it, it's it's kind of funny the so to I I'll try to make this short right but the the truth is I was at a point in my career where I was getting offered representation from some of the best uh artist management companies. Uh no, and 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 I'm not I'm not saying that to be boastful. I'm saying that because like I hit a point in my career where like I was honored, right? I'm like, wow, like I've always wanted to be on that roster. And I'm like really yeah, I was truly honored when I was approached by some of these places who I've represent like I- I've admired for ages, right? So I'm like, man, this is really, this is a uh I'm a huge amount of gratitude again having for uh for where where people see my work and, and and I was honored, so I was considering that as an alternative, like all right, now maybe I'll leave like the agency world and I'll just get representation and focus on you know focus on my art and making work for individual clients um and I was telling, I was, I was saying, uh, I was having that discussion with Shane one night over, over Saki, and, Uh He was also getting offered representation, right? And he was at Method at the time, um, I, you know. And 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 so we're just kicking around, like, oh man, where, where would we want to be represented? Like, what are the best places? And and what what are really cool or interesting, like artist management companies, right? And we were talking about it for a while, and like, and and we, and we're and we're like, well the place that we want to exist maybe doesn't really exist right now, at least not not that we were aware of, right? Like, we wanted an artist management company, but we also wanted a space that we can collaborate and combine our efforts and do work together. So it was kind of like a design studio, but also an artist management company um, where people can kind of do the work they want, but also collaborate and come together, kind of very Transformer-esque, right? And we didn't see that really, like really, like, existing. And then we spoke to Ahmed about it. And he had representation, but he was looking to kind of make a shift. And he kind of said the same thing. You're like, you know, this place that we're all talking about doesn't like really, uh, doesn't really exist. You know, not in the way we, not in the way we want it to, to function. Right. So we're like, well, I know this is silly, but how about we just make it? How about like we, we, make this place that we want to exist. Like we could go and get represented by other places or we can make the thing that we're all talking about. And we all got really excited about the prospect of building something that brought, on, brought in the people that we admired uh, and then that we wanted to work with. So kind of building a, an, uh, a roster of artists that were not only people that we admired from like a, an artwork perspective, but people that we enjoyed being around. Uh, and those are hard things, right? Like it's it's unique to find people that you admire, but also you would love spending like uh, hours and, and days and weeks with on a project. That's, that's unique. Uh, so, you know, Sunday afternoon is a bit of an experiment to, to make an artist management slash creative space design studio where the artists are represented, but also can come together and collaborate on projects. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, and the studio sort of function. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, all I can say is that I'm happy to be doing this. This is like the the dream. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, and it's kind of an experiment, but like the best kind of experiment, because I, I really do think it can work. And we're, we're making it work now. We also, we just saw a lot of holes in like the artist management industry as it currently stands. I think a lot of, there's a lot of misallocation of money, right? You know, the old agency or like the old sort of like 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 artist management agencies would have like this like this this rep who had relationships with with art buyers and then like a creative director would call up their art buyer and like bring me portfolios I want to buy a, I want to hire a, a photographer for this project and she'd come with the portfolios and he'd pick one and the art buyer would broker that project with the rep and a photographer gets hired and that's that Nowadays, creative directors usually are super aware of the artists that they want to work with. They follow them on Instagram. They're sort of, they're sort of directly linked into the artists that, they're, uh, that they're, they admire. So like if a project comes in, for instance, and I want to work with Shane Griffin, I already, as a creative director, I already know who I want to do it, you know? And I don't need to broker that project the same way. I can directly reach out to the artist. Uh, the artist talks to their rep they negotiate like a fee and then we're working on a project. Not to say that the art producer is irrelevant because they are very relevant, but the, the, the function is kind of shifting and changing and, and the way artists interact with creative directors are shifting and changing. And I think it would be dumb not to, uh, be a little, dumb of us not to be aware of that.
0: What do you think your guys' voices represent in the industry? Do you ever think about that? Uh, well,
1: like, What do you mean specifically by that?
0: Um, oh, well, so that's a good question on your point. <laughs> bounced right back at me. <laughs> well, I'll, I'm just thinking in terms of even what the nature of this podcast is. Um, just uh, young, uh, young men of color, you know, doing a thing in New York who have maybe points of view that aren't necessarily traditional. Um, and... And joining forces because you're like-minded and possibly opposed to a system. It's like, what do you think those voices are? Like, what do you think those your voices represent? Or does or does it not even really work that way?
1: Well, I, I think there's certain things that you touched on that like make like total sense, right? We are like Ahmed is French, uh, Lebanese. Um, and you got one Irish guy. Yeah, and then we have <laughs> Shane, who is. Uh, you know, he just moved here essentially a couple of years ago from Ireland. Uh, I've grown up in New York, so I'm a New Yorker through and through, but I am a man of color, you know. Uh, not that I think that it truly affects our work. I do think that it does a little bit, but, I mean, we... And to say we all think the same is also maybe not quite right. I think we all kind of think and view things differently and that's what makes us strong i think Ahmed certainly has like a a point of view on stuff shane has a very strong point of view i certainly do and i think when we agree on something it's usually really really like fucking fascinating and interesting because we're all coming from a kind of a different point of view we're all very different guys uh, but we all have like i think the like a vision that that collaboration and working with people that have different skill sets than you that you admire is something that can exist, right? Um if you especially if you check your fucking ego. You know, and I think that's the hardest bit. You know, it has li- little to do with like everything else and more to do with like yeah, everyone's won a ton of fucking awards and everyone's like been published and this and like but like when you get down to it, you just want to make cool shit with your friends, right? Like that's what it really boils down to. So everyone checks their ego out the door and kind of like walks in with a collaborative sort of mindset. Like you're you're gonna make some interesting stuff if you bring 100 percent and you check your ego. Um, we are we are I think inherently different than other like studios because we are coming from different points of parts of the world. You know I think that that's certainly unique, and I think our work our work definitely breathes a different style i think if you go to the sunday afternoon website you get a definitely it's certainly a a different feel than if you were to go to any other sort of design studio i think in new york it's 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 quite different i mean i'm actually more interested in in the way other people see i i i tend to think a certain way about our work and how it sits together but i'm actually more interested in hearing like how other people like see it you know
0: it feels like on the site, there is like like the international flavor that you talk about. I think that definitely resonates there just because there are like specific bits of flavor, whether it's like a color palette situation or something that relates to something illustrative or typographic. It just feels like it's uh, there's a little bit of extra expressive juice in it that it, it, you can't even necessarily pin down. The thing that I love about it, though, is that it all vibrates at this frequency, which I feel is a bit uh, it's fresh, and also I uh, something I just haven't quite seen before. At least maybe when it's all contextualized together, because I think that's that will makes the work so strong. Because there are, there are bits of tradition, then there are bits of like new thought, and there are bits of like what the fuck is that thing? That's crazy, you know. But then you, and then you, th- you toss in um, a few uh, you know Fortune five hundred companies as clients, then all of a sudden that just legitimizes the whole situation.
1: Yeah, no, I, I kind of see. I, that, that does make a lot of sense. I mean, I, um, yeah, our work. I think the work of Sunday afternoon is. Um, it it tends to be a. If I'm being trying to be objective here, it tends to be a bit more uh, expressive uh, and 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 stuff that we we get excited by. We would. So, you can get work as a graphic designer, right, or as an illustrator. You can get work if you put safe stuff out there. And I think what what we wanna make sure uh, is that all of the artists on the roster and all of the people that work in the studio and how we sort of function is that we're getting asked to do work that we're excited by, which means putting the work into the world that we wanna do more of. Uh, so we, never put, we would never put anything on the site uh, or we would never encourage any of our artists to put something on a site that isn't really exciting Right, so there is, I think, a bit of high energy and excitement because if you're going to put something on on the site and, and, and into a space, you want that to come back to you. Um, uh, so, if I hope that makes sense, I feel like there is a high a high degree of energy in the work, and that's mostly because we want to get more work in that in that vein. Um, we're not reacting towards the safe stuff just to be um agitators that's not our goal we're not we're not we're not we're not like trying to be punk it's not it's not not like a punk movement we're not not reacting against something we're just doing stuff that's true to us and that we find exciting uh and stuff that we want to do more of i hope that makes sense what you said just now about like it's not a
0: punk movement that's so interesting as far as the the motivation behind creation where some people just like be agitators and they'll just want to like shake shit up and then eventually a lot of times those agitators they just lose the energy themselves or people are just tired of that energy it's like um imagine like you know having a uh, water just drip on your head all the goddamn time i'd fucking leave <laughs> you know but then just i think people see the excitement the self excitement is like yo i'm genuinely stoked about this thing Aren't you stoked even if it's in in ignorance of, you know, maybe you put something weird out there that people don't get, but like I can see the, you're into
1: it and I respect the fuck out of that. Um yeah, I think the the intention is certainly different, right? Like we're we're I think w- what I love about us is is you know, and 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 this is going to sound maybe a bit boastful. I'm going to sound maybe a little weird by saying this, but w- we're not the kind of design studio that's trying to to like beat out another design studio or be better than other like we we, there's like we don't i don't feel like competitive with other people in the in the space of like oh i don't want to do work like them i want i want to do work like them we're not reacting towards like we it's not reactive it's more like if we come into the studio and we're working on something or if a matter changes and we get excited about it we like it's it's like building off of that excitement and it's not reactive it's and i think it needs to come from a more like honest place where if like we're jazz and we're getting caught, if it's like keeping us up at night and we're constantly thinking about a project like it's probably a super it's like a good sign i you know i, I make this analogy a lot and i think people People might find it fucking weird, but like I think working on a cool project or getting excited about something is kinda of like falling in love, where like you have you have like a and a thought, right? And this thought starts becoming real when you start working on it, right? And then then your project starts asking stuff back from you as you're working on it. And the, then the relationship starts growing. Cause like you put stuff out there. The project wants to be this thing and this is dialogue that happens. And it's kind of like a relationship and it keeps you up at night and you kind of keep thinking about it and it gets you really excited and you keep working on it. And it's a relationship and it builds, you know, and it, it turns into obviously something really beautiful that ends up hopefully in the world. Uh, and hopefully someone else finds it like interesting and beautiful, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like falling in love. It, you know, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. That sounds I know that sounds fucking odd, but
0: All right, so uh we're winding down a bit. So uh what gets you stoked? Anything that gets you out of bed right now that gets you super excited?
1: Yeah, so much. So much uh obviously like you know the projects we're working on like we're we're working on like a bunch of projects that I'm excited about that I can't talk about. But we're also doing stuff that like we're 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 about to launch our, our, you know, the inaugural like gallery opening that I'm fucking super excited about, which is like getting all the like artists on our roster in a group show in a space that like I, I can't stop thinking about. It's like it's all consuming, right? So that's that's exciting. Also, just a trajectory and seeing how Sunday afternoon grows and changes. I think it's going to grow and change a lot. And I think. I think I'm I'm open to most of those changes. I think we have core values now and and we we know what those core values are, but I'm super interested as we change and grow and take on new people how it morphs and changes. I think there's a lot of different ways that this can can grow and I'm 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 pretty open, excited to see like how that how that happens. So, I'm excited about Sunday afternoon in the studio. I'm excited about the work we're doing and I'm excited about how we're showcasing and representing our artists I think that's something that's super unique to us I think we we admire everyone on on our roster including our like it's artists own and artists like ran right like we we admire everyone on the roster we want them to be showcased in the most interesting thoughtful way and we want ourselves to be a part of that so yeah thanks for joining us brother thank you having me brother so that was Juan Carlos Pagan
0: uh, or J.C. as he's affectionately called. And that was a really fun conversation, a really smart conversation. And uh, honestly, I I left there feeling like uh, I had just gotten... Uh uh, some real knowledge dropped on me and that's always a good feeling to walk away from um, especially for you designers if you're really into those particulars especially uh, discretionary ligatures which was unironically tossed around in that conversation uh, you're probably drooling all over that um, and if you're not then uh, sorry about you go somewhere else uh, but if you want to see more of uh, JC's work go to carlospagan.com c-a-r-l-o-s-p-a-g-a-n.com, and make sure you check out sundayafternoon.u U.S. Um, and also at the end of that uh, you were talking about a gallery opening that actually already occurred it was last month at Inert Gallery uh, in downtown New York and it was a lot of fun I was there about felt like 250 300 people were in that room just kind of having a great time and and uh, looking at some new and exciting work so uh, there will probably be more of that to come and I'll be sure to uh, let you guys know about that. So for next week, I'm not exactly sure of who the guest is going to be just yet, but uh, stay tuned and I'm sure I'll have one. I am recording this ahead of time, so um, I'm trying to play that one by ear. If you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, just search for First Generation Burden. Um, If you want to follow me on on social, it's Rich underscore TU on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat if you're into that shit. And uh, music by Ben Sound. And of course, uh, that Colin Quinn clip is courtesy of Netflix. So thanks for listening to First Generation Burden and see you next time.